You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. It's a good spirit in the place today. Isn't this great? There's nothing like coming together. That's why we see throughout Scripture this encouragement to never neglect coming together. We need each other, and I need you guys in my life. So it's so awesome after a long week to come together and to look forward to being with you. So thank you for being family. Thank you, from, seriously, from the bottom of our hearts. If you have your Bible today, we're going to be continuing in the James series. And today we're focusing on James chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 26. James 2, 14 through 26. And as you are turning there or flipping there this morning, I'm excited about today's message because everything that we've said so far in this series has pointed to this moment. This is the moment that James has been getting to because everything we've been talking about, remember week one, we talked about how the testing of our faith, the joy and pain that as we're tested, God builds our faith and he prepares us and brings growth to our life. And then in the second week, he talked about being not just hearers of the word, but Doers. How many doers are in the house today, right? Not just listening, but to actually do it. What a novel concept. How many parents wish your kids would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of what you would tell them to do? Man, things would be a lot easier. So then the following last week, Pastor Steve brought this a powerful message that we're not to show favoritism. If if we showed favoritism, I wouldn't be here today, okay? But that there's no partiality with Christ, that we are all equal in him. Amen for that. And then today we're talking about the big destination where James is saying, and this is the crux of the entire book, where it says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. See, James, in this chapter, it's like he's having this conversation with this person that somehow thinks that what you think or what you say is enough. Is that enough? No, it's not enough. It's not just what we think, and it's not even just what we say, but what do we do? And he's saying that if you separate faith from your works, you have no faith. Faith without works is dead. And he's convincing this person, and he's coming down to this whole point where James is actually, he's connecting the spiritual with the physical. See, things that happen in the spiritual realm, they have a physical reality that happens. This is the God that we serve And this is our focus as we go through today. So if you would, let's read along with me. James chapter 2, verse 14. Let's read together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Father, may you open our ears and our heart today to hear and understand the word that you would speak to us. That word, that specific word that you have for us, let it be shown, let it be seen. And Lord, may we then be not just hearers, but doers of the word. Allow your faith to come alive in us as individuals and allow your faith to come alive in us as a community of believers, knowing that your works follow and that they accompany. So Lord, speak through me now and use it to glorify you. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. Powerful word. So James is starting off by saying faith is important and he's going to define it. See, faith is foundational in all that we do. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. And I love what the Message Bible says. It says that faith is our handle on what we can't see. Faith is the handle on what we can't see. Faith is everything. We need it. It's important. But James also continues to go on by not just saying that faith is important, but faith is needed. We need faith. We realize that today? Do you know that without faith, it is impossible to know God? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews chapter 11. We need faith. It's vitally important. We need it in order to know God. We need it to please God. But also, as we begin to dive into this section of James, we need to realize that faith is also given by God. See, he's our father. And every good parent gives their child the things that they need. And God knew that we need faith. And so in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. It is a gift of God. But as we look at faith today, and specifically with what James is talking about faith, we need to recognize that faith is alive. A big part of defining faith is that faith is active. When faith is there, there is going to be movement. Because anything that's alive moves, right? You look at something that's alive, it it, it is moving. And anything that moves always leaves behind evidence. How do you know if your kids were in the room? There's evidence. How do you know if I was in the room? It smells like coffee. How do you know there's evidence that's left behind when there's been activity, when there's been evidence going on? And see, James here in 1517, he gives some pretty strong evidence as he walks down this faith, saying that faith responds. Verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need, what good is that? See, he goes on to say that faith is not indifferent. Faith is involved. When the Spirit of God is alive in you, it is not indifferent. Is God indifferent to us? The answer is no. He's not there. God is not indifferent to us. God is active. He is alive. And we need to understand that genuine needs will always bring to life genuine faith. Let me say that again. 
A genuine need will always bring to life genuine faith. Why? Because God cares. Have you ever talked to somebody that doubted whether or not God cared about them? I have. Have you ever had doubts in your own life where you're like, God, do you really care about me? I have. And then God began to bring the evidence to my life. Because God is not indifferent. And even as it talks about us being alive in Christ, when we move for God, we now become the evidence of his care. Did you hear that this morning? You are the evidence of the care of God. Look around this, this room today. Look at the evidence that God has provided. Whether we're off caring for a missionary's house like we did yesterday, or whether we're doing a socket to homelessness, or whether we're investing in ministries downtown that care for the broken and the marginalized, We are the evidence of what God is doing because genuine need will always arouse in us that genuine faith. This is part of what it means to love your neighbor. Essentially, if you don't love your neighbor, it's like God is dead to you because God made us. And his faith will arise in us, this gift that he's given to us. See, God's love in us will always stir us to response. 1 John 3.17 says it this way. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, that's you and me, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is the love of God. This is the faith that he's given us, that when we see needs, that the faith rises up within us to where we may not know how, but we're saying, God, I know that you're calling me to respond in some way. What should I do? See, caring for the external opens a door to the deeper need. Sometimes we can get caught up in going, well, I see this external need, but what about the deeper need? And God is saying, just do what you know to do. If someone's hungry, give them some food. I've been given a lot of food in my life. If someone needs clothing, give them clothes. Do you know that there have been times in my life when people have been stirred to where we were going, how are we going to get our kids ready for school? How are we going to be going to get these things ready, and people have provided for us. It was very humbling, but it connected us. It connected us to the work of God, and it also connected us to, to, to the people that were involved, that were just stepping out in, in, in response. But as we respond to this, to respond in every situation, we need faith. Because if it's not faith, it stops with just the act that's happening. When there's a deep need, there's a need for deep faith. Did you hear that this morning? As we respond to the word of God, as we respond and become alive in this faith, without faith, my response will come up short, and it will not last. It will not last. And James is saying here that when faith responds, faith will become observable. See, faith is observable. This is part of our testimony People should see our faith. Verse 18, it says, I will show you my faith by my works. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, let your light shine before everybody. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, God wants to use you as evidence of his goodness. But the lack of evidence often creates doubt in people. When someone stands before a doctor or goes to a doctor, what does the doctor start to do? He or she starts to walk down a line of looking for evidence. 
How is this person doing? When someone is involved in, a, in an accident and they're not breathing, you begin to look for evidence of life to arouse and to, to bring them back to life. But for us today, as, as we look at this word, what James again is saying, and I repeat it again, our spiritual and our physical lives are connected. Our physical lives and our spiritual lives, they are connected. We are one in them. See, when the disciples were afraid of the waves, Jesus didn't challenge their ability to swim, did he? Remember? There's a big storm going on. They're on the boat. If you read through the Gospels, you see this story. And the disciples, they're afraid of the storm going on. And they wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. There's a storm going on. Jesus didn't say, don't you guys know how to swim? He he didn't challenge their nautical skills. Don't you know how to make this boat respond to the waves? Where did Jesus challenge them? He challenged them in their faith. He said, oh, you of little faith. He didn't go to their physical skills. He went to the spiritual and said, don't you know? This is where he challenged them. Because see, when there is a lack of evidence, we have a big problem. Because it is by our faith that people see Christ in us. Because the faith and the works go hand in hand. This is why James, he says, can that faith save him? This empty faith where you separate the two. See, the purpose of true faith is to save you and to save those around you because faith is alive, it's exciting, it's active, even in the middle of a storm. But faith that is non-responsive, that has no evidence, no life, is a deception, It is a false faith. Faith and works always go together. And this is part of the danger in living in our own head today, in our own thought life. Because see, it's not what we say, and it's not even just what we think, it is what we do. Because actions equal commitment. Now, I love social media. How many of you are on social media? No judgment here. I'm there with you, okay? So, there's nothing wrong with social media. It can be a powerful tool. And in my life, it's a great tool of even staying connected with my family in Canada and with friends that are around the world as we communicate what's going on, the good things, the, the things to pray for, ways that we can help and connect with each other. But sometimes we can get caught up in that just because we post it or just because we say it, it's a reality. But it's not in just what we say. It's not in just in what we tweet. It's not in just what we like. What are we doing? How are we acting? How are we responding? Because when you actually act, when you actually go out and you do something, you're committing to it. Now you're beyond the word part. See, knowing does not equal mastery. We're living in a time when we have more access to information than ever before. And one of the stats that's been brought up even with Generation Z, this new generation, is that more than half of them, they would rather give up use. I think Pastor Sean, I'll quote you, Pastor Sean. Do you guys love Pastor Sean? Isn't he a wealth of knowledge? Yes. But Pastor Sean was sharing, sharing with me that as they've begun going through the studies, that Generation Z would rather, not all of them, I hope, but they would rather give up the use of their dominant arm than give up access to information. Yeah. You got quite a response from that, by the way. That's good. <laughs> Think about that. Because access is so important. Think about it. Are you willing to turn off all of your points of access for a week? Some are going yes, some are going no. But... We value access, access to information. Something happens, we begin to search. 
If I give a stat this morning, you begin to search, is that really true what Pastor Duane said? And that's, that's fine, check it out. But we're so linked into this axis, but we need to recognize that just knowing it does not equal mastery. See, there can be a disconnect between our internal self, our thoughts, and our external self between what we do. But what God is saying is that you cannot separate them. And he gives a pretty big warning, and here's the warning that James is giving. James is saying that if you separate faith from works, they die. Faith without works is dead. And he even uses this illustration here where it says, you believe that God is one? One person says, well, good for you. (laughs) Even the demons believe that. And they shudder in fear. See, faith and works cannot be separated. And this comes back to our understanding of the gospel. Because while works are very important, as we begin to dissect this, again, faith without works is dead. You cannot separate them. But at the same time, we need to have a clear understanding of the gospel for to understand this teaching correctly. Because the gospel is a gift of God. We cannot earn it. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Works are important, but the gospel, it is a gift of God. We can't earn it. So what is the gospel? Just a really quick review. Basically, the gospel is that God made me, but I rejected him. But because God loved me, he sent Jesus to reconcile me back to God as I receive him. As I receive him. It's a total restoration. Because see, the gospel answers life's biggest questions. There are basically three big questions in life. First of all, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Right? Three big questions. All the other questions are rooted in these. Where did I come from? Who made me? Who made me? God. God made me. Why am I here? I'm here to have relationship with him and to glorify him. My purpose is found in God. And then where am I going? For those of us who have received, we believe and receive, we become children of God. I'm going with God forever. I'm going with God forever. These are, this is the gospel. And when we recognize this, we recognize that the gospel, it penetrates, it transforms, and it takes over every area of our lives. It is what I love, it is what I talk about, and it is what I think about. When I think about the goodness of God and the gift of the gospel, it penetrates everything. And this gift that God has given us, it makes us alive in him. This is why God hates sin. Because while the gospel makes us alive, sin, that rejection of God, it destroys everything. Sin will eventually destroy all your relationships. Sin will destroy your life. It will destroy you yesterday, today, and the future if you allow it. But Jesus, the gospel, it makes us alive. And the gift, it transforms us. And James is saying that that transformation, it will have evidence And the works is the evidence of true faith. When we have true faith in God, it comes alive in us. See, this faith is the entrance into the work of God, it says in Ephesians 2. And then in Hebrews 11, it says that by faith we know God. In Acts 6, it's by faith that we are obedient to God. And then all throughout the Gospels, it is by faith that we are healed, and God uses us in even bringing healing to others. In Acts 6, it is by faith that we are able to teach the word. And in James 2, it says it's by faith that we are able to love and to provide for those in need. 
In Acts 16, we, we, we realize that increased faith also increases community. This is the work of God, growing in him, loving him, being alive in him, being used by him, and the community grows always when faith is active. But when there's the absence of works, works without faith, works just for work's sake, without God, it always results in hypocrisy and fear. See, works without faith will lead us down this dark path. And Jesus addressed this. In Matthew 23, he has this chapter where he's addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, 23, he looks at them and says, you lack mercy, justice, and faith. We need faith. When faith is not accompanied by our works, the end result will also be fear. Have you ever experienced deep fear? See, fear without faith, it makes us rely on ourselves. And there are so many things in my life that I look at that I say, God, apart from you, there's no way, there's no hope. This cannot be done. And if I don't lift my eyes to God and allow his gift of faith to rise up within me, fear will come in. Have you, have you been there? You look at it and you get scared. That's why we cast our cares on him. We say, God, you're the author and the finisher. Of my, you perfect my faith. You perfect my faith. You perfect my faith. But see, sometimes it's easy for us to rely on our works. Because when we're leaning on our works, instead of faith, again, separating them, the works become comfortable because if it's just me, I get to control it. If I'm not leaning on God, I I get to control what the works are. I choose them. And I also take all the credit for them. See, we feel better when we get to pay for it. As I talked about earlier, there have been times in our lives when people have poured into us when we've had great need. That's a very humbling experience. And if you've ever, ever been when you've had to be on the receiving end of something, it, 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 it's, you're thankful for it, but it can be very difficult. We often want to be on the side where we get to pay, where we get to give, and it's great to give and to do that. But as it relates to this, We need to receive from God. It's his plan. It's his will. It's his way. Because just as faith without works is dead, again, works without faith are also dead. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew 7. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's a work. Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus said, I will then declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think this is some of the most scary passages in Scripture. I did the work, I prophesied, I cast out demons. I did all these mighty works. And Jesus is saying, it wasn't for me. I don't know you. You never surrendered your life to me. You never yielded yourself to me. This was all about you. You can't separate the two. Because see, the purpose of faith and works coming together is what? It's transformation. The gospel transforms us. 
and works are not for God's benefit. The works are for our benefit. Does God need anything? No. Whatever God needs, he can just make it. He's God. He's the center of everything. These works are used by God to transform us. And this is the place where we know God, and this is where we come alive to the purpose of God as we walk out in these works in, obey, in obedience, faith rising up within us, doing the work that God has called us to do. See, as we step out in the works that God calls us to do, the works become a testing ground. And this was that first sermon that we talked about in James, in James chapter 1. The works, it's the testing. It's in the testing that we learn, first of all, what we know, but we also learn what we need to know. And the testing, as we walk out these works, it strengthens us, it prepares us, and it makes us more confident. How many of you want more confidence in your life? Step out in faith, say, God, speak to me, show me, try me, tell me what you would have me do as I walk in faith with you. And remember, James is speaking to Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians, they knew the law. They knew what was there. But in the Gospels, Jesus' greatest criticism of Jewish leaders is that they did not practice what they preached. And James is coming back to this again. Remember what Jesus called them? He called them whitewashed tombs. You look good, but you're dead inside. It's the faith and the works. And he even said, don't do as they do. It has to be a company. And even for us today, as we stand here, as the body of Christ, one of our biggest criticisms of us today is that there's no fruit. There's not that life in us. See, when you're around someone who is alive in Christ and the faith is alive in them, it makes you hungry. It makes you thirsty for God. Have you been around people like that? Man, they're alive in Christ. They're walking it out. The faith and the works are active in their life. It makes you hungry. It makes me dig deeper. Because see, the fruit that is needed for us today can only be grown by God. The work that God wants to do in us, the evidence that he wants to bring out, the fruit that will grow from our life is only as his spirit is alive in us. See, a God-sized vision, we sang today, Lord, be thou my vision. When God speaks to you and he gives you a vision, Often my response is, God, there's no way that I can do that. And God says, you're right. <laughs> there is no way. That's why I'm alive in you, Dwayne. That's why I'm alive in you, Shoreline Community Church. It's my vision. It's my way. Open to me. Allow faith to rise up and see what will happen. See what exciting days will be ahead of you. But it takes faith. It takes surrender. And this is what Jesus was telling them. See, God holds the answer to every question in life. And even our preschooler kids know this. You ask the preschoolers what the answer is, what, what do they say? Jesus. <laughs> is the answer Jesus? Yes. But the next question is, well, how? Because we don't just start, start throwing around seed, right? There's responsibility that comes with it. How we do it is by faith. Saying, God, what would you have me do? I know that the answer to the brokenness, to the addictions, to the pride, is Jesus, but what does that mean? And then God, through faith, as you believe in him, surrender to him, starts speaking to you and starts telling you some things. He starts telling you things to give up of. He starts telling you things to give away. He starts leading you and calling you down paths that you need to be walking in. But if faith is not in your life, you will never get there because it's scary. 
There have been so many things that God has called me to do, places he's called me to step, that have been scary. Some have been scary because some places I was afraid of getting hurt. You ever been there? (laughs) You're walking new ground and you get a little fearful. Some places have been scary because it's meant swallowing my pride. Well, God, if I do that, people are going to judge me. If I do that, they're going to think. And God is saying, do you want the praise of man or do you want my approval in your life? This is faith that transforms us, that brings us to life. It is active. It is sharpening. It is refining. God holds the answer, but imagine what God would do in our life. Imagine what God would do in our family. Imagine what God would do in this church if we all by faith would stand up and say, God, do you speak? Your servant is listening. I'm willing to deny myself. I'm willing to step out. I'm not going to argue about foolish things. I'm going to say, God, what would you have us do? Can you imagine what God would do? Does God want to do it? Yes, and I would say this. God's going to do it with or without you. God's plan will go forward because he loves our community, because he loves you and he loves the city that we're in. His plan is going to go forward, but I'm not going to miss out. And I'm not going to leave this church in a way where this church is going to miss out on what God is doing and the maple syrup hockey tears are going to flow because God is calling us and he's leading us, but we need to deny ourselves and follow him. And it requires faith. It requires faith. Because the answer is Jesus, but God's going to lead us in that how. Because how Jesus is applied to one person sometimes is a little bit different. Same God, same Jesus. But look at how the many different ways that Jesus explained the gospel. Look at how many different ways he healed people. For one person, he spit in the mud and put the mud on their eyes. Make sure God's calling you to do that before you do that. (laughs) He didn't say, if you want to heal, just spit in your hands. It's being led by God, being led alive in him. He is the answer. And at the end of this little section, James gives us the brother of Jesus, these two awesome examples. And I love the examples. I love these examples. It's the playoff seasons. I don't know. I'm just... (laughs) He loves these... I love these, these examples. He says, Was not Abraham, our father, justified by the works he offered... When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and the faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was also called a friend of God. He said, You see that a person is not justified by work is, is justified by works and not faith alone. So he gives us the example of Abraham, but then he also gives us the example of Rahab. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, these spies, and sent them out by another way? See, two examples of faith that James gives us. One, he gives Abraham, the patriarch, the father of faith. And then polar opposite, he gives us Rahab, the prostitute, who is now the child of faith. Do you see that? Abraham, the father of faith, respected, following God as an example of faith and works. And then James gives us Rahab, this woman that for whatever reason she's found herself making her living as a prostitute. 
And he's saying, this is a child of faith. Abraham and Rahab. I don't think you could get two more different people in the Bible. And I love that. But in this, James is saying, look at these wonderful children of God. Both children of God. Both equal. And what got them to this amazing passage? They got here through obedience. Both obeyed God and their faith. It moved them to action. See, to obey is better than a sacrifice. Obedience, it brings about faith. Look at Abraham. Abraham, if you know the story, he left everything to follow God. The Bible tells us that he came out of this idolatrous country and he went to a land that he didn't even know and now he's called the father of faith. But see, Abraham, he had a lot of growing to do. He had a massive growth curve. One theologian said that when God called Abraham, he dipped him out of this idolatrous pit and he called him. But as he went, as he obeyed with every act of obedience, Abraham grew because we grow as we go. We grow as we go. That's how I got here. That's how I left where I grew up. I didn't know everything. But at each step, God gave me great faith. Every step, everything that I look back to and I go, man, look how God moved. It was because God had given me the faith that I needed. But faith continues to grow. This was the story of Abraham. God said, go, and he obeyed. But then Rahab the prostitute, and if you want to read this beautiful story, it's in Joshua 2. Rahab, she risked her life to obey God. And just a little bit of background. Two spies had come, sent to Jericho to gather intelligence, and they stayed at the house of Rahab. She was a prostitute, but she was also running an inn. And see, in Jewish law, they could have stoned Rahab to death. Because of her lifestyle, she could have been stoned. But because of her faith and her belief in God, she helped the spies, giving them information, and even hid them from the soldiers. And what did God do? God rewarded her for her faith, and she became later an Israelite and was one of only four Old Testament women that were included in the genealogy of Jesus. Think about that. Because of her faith, she is now included in the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 5, for her faith, and for her good works. There is nowhere you can go to escape the hand of God. It is all reaching. Wherever you are, whether you're Abraham in this idolatrous country, or whether you're Rahab in a city that's about to be destroyed by God, you obey. Watch the faith of God come up in us. As we conclude this today, I want you to realize that These aren't just two examples that are out there, but God is saying, would you let me write my story in your life? See, God is out to write your story. We are now living what many people have lived. Whether it was thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, or today, it is the same path. It is simply obeying God and saying, God, speak, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. What are the big things that you're asking God for in your life? What are the big hurts that you walk by every day? Whether it's in your own home or whether it's on the the streets of Shoreline in Seattle. 
and you're looking and saying, God, we can do better than this. No one needs to be lost. God, what would you have us do? I want to encourage you today with fresh eyes to look to God and say, God, what story are you writing? What would you do in my life? Amen? Amen. If you have your listening guide, or you can look up here, just a couple of questions to process as we head into this time of responding to the word of God. Ask yourself these questions. Because again, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, do we? We want to be doers of the word. Ask yourself, as I'm asking myself, God, where is faith evident in my life? Where is faith evident in my life? Look at your life. Where is faith evident in my home? What are the things that require faith? Where is faith evident at work, wherever you work? Where is faith evident along your patterns? Whether you're shopping at Fred Meyer, Safeway, wherever you go, is faith evident as you go in those areas? And then even here at Shoreline Community Church, where is faith evident here? What are the things that we are doing as a church that require faith that except for God, it will fail? Are we simply relying on ourselves and what we can do? Ask yourself, where are the places where only God can make it happen? Those are often places where you come up with an answer of, I don't know. I don't know where it is. God, what level of faith are you bringing me to? What would you say to me? And then ask yourself, how is God challenging me to step out in faith today? Where is God challenging you? Do you know that God's always going to challenge you? If you've ever been on any kind of sports team, a good coach will do what? Challenge you. (laughs) He or she will make you do things that you didn't think you could do at the beginning of the season that by the end of the season you've made great strides to. You may have broken a collarbone along the way, but they will get you there. Where are the things that work? Where are the things in your home? Where are the things in your day-to-day? God, what are those things that only you can do? God, where are the areas that I'm not seeing? I think sometimes we enter these contexts and we enter these communities, whether it's at work or home or in our neighborhood, and at first we come in with fresh eyes and go, Lord, use me to share your love. Use me to love. And then we don't see anything, and we kind of pull back and give up, don't we? We say, well, I've already asked them. I've already talked to them. I've already invited them over for dinner. I've already done this. Is God ever going to tell you to give up? No, he's not. I thank God that nobody gave up on me. Where are those areas, where are those people that God's calling to love? Where is the how? We know the answer is Jesus, but how is God calling you to step out? Where are those areas? Let's just take some time to process that today. As the worship team just plays and sings, one of the places that I I process a lot is around what we call the Lord's table. This is just what Jesus did. He took the bread symbolizing his body, saying, my body was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's because of his broken body that we are healed. Where are the areas of your life that you're needing healing? Maybe it's healing in your vision and how you see people around you. 
And then we take the juice representing his blood. Spend some time with us today and say, God, speak to me today. Go to the prayer wall. Write down a prayer. We have prayer teams in the balcony and on the side. And if, if you folks would just move to those positions. If you want to pray with somebody or talk to somebody, they've been praying for you already by faith. Ask and go to them. But let's take some time to process. We have lots of time. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Father, we love you. Lord, we want to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I recognize that you are calling us out, that you are preparing us for this season. Lord, your will is going to be done, but I don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of what you're doing, oh God. And that requires faith to come alive in me so that your work, that your fruit will flow out of my life and our life and our community's life, out of our family's life, Lord, out of our workplaces, wherever we go, but we need you. So, Lord, speak to us today. Your servant is listening. Amen. Would you say it with me? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Say it again. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen. Now, let's, re- let's respond to the Lord through communion, through prayer. Let's take a few moments to seek Him today.